And the title of this morning's message is God's Righteous Judgment. God's Righteous Judgment. So we're going to begin by standing and reading. All right, so let's stand. Let's come to our feet. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up. In the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Oh, God, it's even difficult to read that. If it doesn't grieve the heart, there's something wrong with us. Lord, last week we learned about how it is that the Apostle Paul, oh, Lord, there was no shame in proclaiming, declaring, and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it brings life. It brings hope. Lord, it restores us, reconciles us to you through the Son. And yet, Lord, this morning, we deal with the passage that reminds us and points out, Father, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. That none is righteous, no, not one that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And with that understanding, 
Lord, I pray that we would be a humble and repentant people. Lord, that we would not take part in these things, and nor would we encourage others to do the same. Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in and through us, and Lord, that we would be strengthened by your Spirit to bring you glory and honor, to revere you, and, and just bless you, Father. And so, Lord, be with us, for through this, we do have a hope. Our hope lies squarely on Jesus Christ, and in him we fix our eyes. And one day we will be in all of his glory, and I pray that more people, even this morning, Lord, come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for this time. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So God's righteous judgment. Do you ever see something or a situation so clearly, but somehow others do not see it that way. They see it completely different, or they don't see it at all, or vice versa. They see something you don't. You see, between people, we can see things differently and discuss them all day, argue, have discussions. We can debate with one another come to compromise or tell each other this very familiar phrase. Let's agree to disagree. But how about if we try that with God? Let's argue with them all day, debate with them, and let's have this dialogue to the point to where at the end of the day, can we say that same phrase? God, let's agree to... You don't even want to say it. Let's agree. Let's agree with God, right? But so many people treat God as if, as if you were a man, like you and I. We argue, we reject, we lecture, and we demand, we accuse, and then we forsake. We do that. Has God ever changed? Is he like man that he'll change his mind? The scripture tells us that he, he's not like a man. He doesn't change his mind. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I misspoke. Perhaps you're right. That's actually what I meant. It's whatever you're saying. However you're interpreting it, whatever you desire, it, it actually wasn't. No, he doesn't do that, does he? He never does that. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what can be known about God, he says here, as we read it, from the creation of the world is what is plain to see. We can understand that there is a God, and it is plain to see. The Apostle Paul does not complicate things for us in Romans chapter 1. In fact, he simplifies things. We're the ones that complicate things. He writes them out so that we can all understand how God has made it plain to all people what can be known about God. 
the things that have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. He says, he says this, so they are without excuse. So I, I want to start out this morning by laying this out for us because it's very important for us to understand that what is being spelled out for us is that God can be clearly seen and has been clearly seen and known from the beginning of creation for anyone who's wondering, what about the, you know, the person out? What about, you know, it's like, just worry about you, really, quite frankly. And know that he is known by simply going outside. Go, go, go inspect creation. Go check it out. Sit in a, a, biology, a biology class, like a basic biology class. And, and you only begin to understand the, the, the amazing details of creation. Physics, amazing. Physiology, amazing. They all point to a creator. The, the question is, why would people offer an excuse? Because an excuse assumes there is judgment. Why, why would you even come to the place of, of having an excuse? I, I want to propose an excuse for why even propose an excuse? That assumes that there is judgment. We can argue with each other, but not with God. Because when we stand before him, all will be laid bare. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So in two places, just in Hebrews, in these two verses, we see how it is that nothing ex escapes the knowledge of God. You and I, can you, can you imagine being in the garden? What did Adam do the moment he sinned? He tried to not only cover himself, but he tried to hide from God. You know, as we go through that story, sometimes we even chuckle, right? Knowing that no one can hide from God, but yet why do you and I try and do the same thing? We try and cover ourselves and hide from God. This is why Paul writes a warning to the church and Remember, this is to the church, but it's also a warning for the world. A warning for the church to not practice those things the world practices. That's why any church that embraces what we're going to cover this morning is not a true, genuine church. In that, what I'm speaking of, it may be a gathering of people, but they aren't followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, they're, they're not a group of people who, who follow the mandates of Jesus Christ. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. Because this warning is, is a warning for the church to not practice those things the world practices because God shows no partiality against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. And it's also a warning for the world so that it may identify, confess, and repent of those things that will stir up the wrath of God against them and come to salvation 
in Jesus Christ. Because God desires, he wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Apostle Paul continues in the verses that we read from verses 16 and 17. As he wrote, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then he goes into verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I imagine this was grieving to Paul because it grieved my heart deeply. Very grieving because I considered the days in which we're living in. I thought about the compromise even found within the church to somehow think that it's commendable to compromise with these types of things. When God very clearly states that it's an abomination, it brings condemnation. Paul identifies how within the gospel, salvation is known by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And he goes on to say, the righteous shall live by faith. Another way of saying this is, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Live what? A right life according to the moral attributes that are clearly seen in creation, the very character of God. Not to mention those that are written out very clearly in the scriptures and Bible, the Bible. This morning, God is pointing out the obvious. In case I haven't made that clear, God is going to point out the obvious to us. But he's also warning about its rejection. Something that we need to really come to understand and, and live out in our own lives. Number one, God's attributes revealed in creation. Number two, God is rejected. Number three, God allows self-destruction. Did you know that? He allows you to implode. If you want to implode, you can implode. If you want to explode, you can explode. It's whatever you insist on. God will not make up your mind for you. You know, when someone's undecisive and we're trying to figure things out, my wife knows very well what I say, you know, can you make up my mind for me? In other words, like, let's, let's get to a conclusion here. But God never makes up our mind for us. He gives us choice. He gives us free will. It's always an issue of the person, of the heart. And God will give you over to whatever it is that you insist on. The whole point of this section, all the way through chapter 2 and on to chapter 3 and up to verse 20 of chapter 3 is to come to understand our need to be saved
from God's wrath and judgment against ungodliness and unrighteousness. It's a description. It's a definition of what is ungodly, what is unrighteous. We have to know what we are being saved from. Like, hey, have you come to salvation? I need no salvation. Saved from what? I'm, I'm a good person. I, I don't murder. I, I don't, you know, do all these things, lie, cheat. I'm, I'm no thief. Well, as we go through this, we begin to understand that we are in need, in desperate need of submitting ourselves, of surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ to come to know salvation. You know, verse 18 and through 20, God made truth clear. No excuses. Let's read it again. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and these things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Uh, Verse 18 is also known as natural theology, because God made himself clearly known to all through creation. And no one is without excuse. In other words, no one, like an excuse just doesn't hold water. Not valid. Won't give you an out. No one can deny that there is a creator. They can try, and many have. But as they do, they can only demonstrate that they are fools in the process. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The design, the structure, the laws that govern creation are absolutely amazing. Amazing. Just test them out over and over and over again, and they're they're consistent. There's a thing called gravity. You can prove it. And if you want to argue against it, you can. But we can prove it in many ways. We consider a plant, an animal, the sky, space, the ocean, and all it contains, and especially mankind and the mind of man, truly all amazing. You see, man can only discover what is. God is the only one that created something out of nothing. Back in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That word created in that First verse, the original Hebrew word is bara, which means it doesn't apply to you and me. We cannot create the way God created the heavens and the earth because he created all of what we know to exist from nothing. This is beyond our comprehension. We can try it, but every time we try, we're creating something out of something that already exists. It's already there. And God warns of his wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in verse 18, and then describes what this actually looks like and what it is. 
It's nothing less than suppression of the truth. And isn't that what the world is doing today? It's a continuous uh, act throughout the whole world. You know, the suppression of truth. It it has happened from the very beginning. That's exactly what Satan, the serpent, did to Eve in the garden. He was trying to suppress the truth, and he was successful in doing it to the point to where he deceived Eve into Adam 8. The world is disregarding the truth and deliberately working at confusing the truth and instead trying to make everyone believe in lies which suppress the truth. But God says that if you just look around at creation itself, it screams of God because it is God who created the earth, created the heavens. He says in his word, you are without excuse. If you're just mindful of creation, you will know that he exists and that he is. Verses 21 through 23 is the rejection of God and how it darkens the heart. So he goes on from no one is without excuses. Now, now he's making it known to us. Hey, listen, the rejection of God darkens the heart of man. Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Man's problem begins the moment we see creation and the design of God and know that it clearly reveals God and that he exists, but we do not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Instead, we refuse to worship him, and instead we begin to worship and idolize and praise the creation. And this word, for images is, is icon. It's um, imitation. It's like a. In some false religions, they literally worship icons or images of apostles, of certain saints. You walk into a house, and there's there's images to the left and images to the right. And you are to honor them. You can look around and say, well, honor who? Honor the picture on the wall? That's, That's no one. We are to, who are we to bow down? A person? Am I to bow down to, to Stephen or to Eric or to who? Or maybe my wife. No. There's only one that we bow down to and honor and glorify. We honor our wives and, and, and the other way around in a different way, in a respectful way. We honor each other in, in a whole different way. We esteem others more than ourselves, but not in the manner in which we do to the Lord. But our problem is the moment we reject worshiping God 
and begin to worship other things. You say, well, I, I don't worship other things. I don't idolize other things. Let's talk about your time. I know you don't like hearing this, but let's see your pocketbook. Let's see your bank account. Let's see where it is that you spend most of your time. Time, talent, and treasure. If you want to go through that yourself, and you'll figure out very clearly who it is that you worship, who it is that you honor and glorify. Our refusal, I, 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 want, you, I want the church to understand that our refusal does not make him less of God or less of the creator or less anything that he has always been. But what that does is our refusal and our argumentation toward that, it makes us look like, because we are at that point, fools. Our thoughts. If someone chooses to not honor God as God and reject him and definitely not give him thanks, then that person becomes futile in their thinking. In other words, their thoughts become useless. Not my words. This is See, I'm, I'm laying out what God is, is warning us of. He's describing, he's defining what it is to reject God and instead worship the creation. These are, these are, this, this is something very important for us to understand. Because those thoughts are actually useless, incapable of producing anything useful to anyone. They may sound useful to others who think the same way, but in actuality, they are not. Like human philosophy. Like you may on the outside, like maybe conduct yourself in a way, in a manner that, that goes along with the world and you fit right in in all of that. But does accolations from the world really mean anything? They are absolutely empty if the one that has not claimed you as his has not done so by your faith and by his grace. It's nothing. It's useless. How about claims? What if, uh, what if people claim to be wise? Anyone claim to be wise? Just someone open up social media. You'll have people claiming they're wise as you can just continue to scroll, right? I'm wise, I'm wise, I'm wise, I'm wise. You know, it's all in there, right? I'm wise. But what if uh, someone claims to be wise or, or maybe, maybe they identify as wise? Like I'm just identifying as, as a wise person. Is that enough? How about if your peers, maybe the world confirms that you are wise? Doesn't that make them wise? No. Because God says that the foolish heart darkens with thoughts contrary to God and only slip deeper into depravity, opening themselves up to delusion. People who believe they are rational and live in reality, when in reality they've slipped into depravity, possessing a debased mind, a mind that has abandoned God's morality and is degraded, immoral, wicked, 
base, and corrupt. Claiming to be wise doesn't make one wise. The accumulation of information and knowledge doesn't make one wise either. In fact, it may even puff your head up, make you become proud. No, wisdom is the right application of what is right. And God says that as one enters into the foolishness of rejecting God and claiming to be wise, that is when one exchanges or replaces the truth for the lie, the genuine for the imitation. Instead of honoring God, people begin to honor images and the creation instead of the creator, even, even honoring and begin to worship themselves, elevating and worshiping what has been created. Let me ask you, who's greater, the building or the architect? The invention or the inventor? Creation or the creator? Because there's something important to see here. And that is that there is an exercise of the will of man that deliberately exchanges the glory of the immortal God for images. This is the act of giving up one thing in exchange for another. When you go and exchange something that is damaged, you turn it in right at the store. You, you give up one item for another that is not damaged. Well, when you believe the world that God is a lie, you end up exchanging what is the truth for a lie. You, you got the damaged goods. It, it's like going to the store and saying, you know what? I know this is really good and it works. And it's beneficial for me. But everyone is telling me that this is actually damaged. It's not something to really believe in. And I want to give it to you. And can you give me something that's broken? Something that's absolutely useless to me. The person on the other side of the counter will be scratching their heads and thinking, you're out of your mind, right? God is saying, that's the mind that you have now. You do not have a sound mind. You are out of your mind. You have a depraved mind. The consequences of doing this is what we will spend the rest of our time talking about. Briefly, we're going to go over this in the following verses. And this is if we don't acknowledge our sin and repent of it. This is, this is the progression, and that's what we're going to go through. First of all, we're going to see how the Lord, and this is repeated three times he says in verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, gave them up, right? In verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. In verse 28, it says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Three times, he said, God gave them up. It's something for us to pay attention to three times. Church, it's grieving. Because God has given them over to lust, given them over to what is dishonorable, and given them over to a debased mind. Let's talk about these other consequences. Given over to lust. Verse 24, once again, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And to that, I, was, I, I thought, wow. You know, we went from rejecting God to dishonoring the body among other people. Why wow, you take this to a whole different level. Wow. You know, when, when uh, you know, as parents were told, we, we exaggerate. Oh, dad, you know. Why'd you have to go that far? It's only whatever, right? God is laying it all out for us. The answer is yes. We went from warning, reject God, to dishonor the body. Yes, because the absence of God allows or invites and brings the presence of impure thoughts that lead to impure actions. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? You guys have heard that before? It's in the word. That's, that's a warning for us. It's, for, it's good for us to like really think about the moment like something leaves our mouth. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? It came from an impure heart. That's where it came from. And if a person insists on giving up God, then he will eventually give you over to what you desire and allows that person to experience the self-destruction that is a result of their sin. It has nothing to... God has warned, warned and warned and warned, right? Instructed. Tried to build you up. Tried to put some some guardrails in that path that you're walking down and we, we ignore them. No, I want to take this path. No, no, I, no. Thank you, but no, thank you. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Well, it's a result of our own rejection of God because he does not force himself on anyone. Sometimes we make the mistake of concluding that it is God's mercy also that is allowing a person to continue in sin. Have you ever had someone think, oh, that's, that's merciful of God. He's being compassionate and he's being patient, right? They're continuing in their sin. Sometimes we make the error of thinking that that's, that's God's mercy. When it could be, as we read here, this is not my opinion. It's, it says here that it's not always God's mercy. It's not his patience. He does desire that all should reach repentance. But it could be that he's given you over. That he's given you up. To the lust of your hearts. To impurity. And the destruction thereof. Paul includes both sexual immorality and idolatry here. The worship of something other than God. But he also includes sexual immorality. Yeah, I, was, I was reading about this and C.H. Spurgeon thought that this was so, so disgusting, so, so direct. Even the, this passage, what we're reading, that, that it, it wasn't even to be mentioned. Like he thought, I, I cannot read this from the pulpit. Like, you go home and you read this on your own. I'm going to preach about it, but you go home and read it on your own. Because this is, this is just something that's repulsive. Because it's clearly 
what God rejects and condemns. What a person insists on is what God will give them up to, given over to the lusts of their hearts. And that's what we have in verses 24 and 25. But it continues, the progression of the rejection of God, given over to what is dishonorable. Verse 26 says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Notice what God defines and calls to be this is natural. Natural to the order of nature, creation, as he designed it. The truth is that homosexuality and lesbianism is dishonorable to God and is condemned by Scripture, period. Those who practice such things are mostly promiscuous. And that's, it's not, again, it's like, oh, that's Rawls' opinion. No, it's not my opinion. It's actually backed up by facts, data. Over 43% of homosexuals have had more than 500 sexual partners. 500. It's over the course of a lifetime, and only 1% have had four or less sexual partners in their lifetime. And we can go on and on in regards to statistics. These, these are facts. But can we take a look at the obvious scripture? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We, we all consider ourselves followers of Christ here, right? Hopefully. Christians? Okay. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who is he speaking to? He's a triune God. It's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Always have been, are, always will. One God, three persons. Same God, one God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him. Well, I can't read that. Maybe it says something different. No, it, yeah, it's a, it says male and female. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I kind of emphasize that for a purpose, of course. 
How can you, being male and female, be fruitful and multiply if you are not coupled together as God designed couples to come together and marry and have children? Just the obvious. You see, it doesn't matter how much or how loud a person claims to be wise, no matter if the whole world agrees with you, in reality, you've become a fool. Because God created a man and a woman to come together in holy matrimony and be fruitful and multiply. You see, God's nature and order is that, and to do otherwise is unnatural. A committal of shameful acts, and God says that they will receive the due penalty of their error. So I I wanted to state the obvious, because in case we want to think differently, you can think differently. You can even have different opinions and views. It really doesn't matter because it doesn't change the truth of God's word. You understand what I'm saying? It, It doesn't change anything. Two men gather together, do your business, and see what produ- what's produced. Nothing. Two women do the same thing. You know what you'll produce? Nothing. The only way you can be fruitful and multiply, as God has created us to do, is between a man and a woman. Not one who identifies as a woman and is actually a man, or any other thing, or cuts things off to look like a woman. It's the obvious, isn't it? Come on, church. Is this the obvious? I hope so. Don't don't twist things. Because you're only twisting God's word. You want him to be whatever it is that you want him to be. It's called idolatry. But he said there's a due penalty. This means that there are consequences to the sin of sexual immorality, specifically the sin of homosexuality and lesbianism. So men, men, you have these chromosomes, X, Y. Women, you have chromosomes, X, X. That's just the way it is. You can argue, argue with him. That's what it comes down to. What is the consequences of this type of sexual immorality? Spiritual death, emptiness, depression, and so much more. We can go down the list. Not to mention a delusional mind that is open to all kinds of evil. Our inclinations do not void God's laws and intentions of nature. Our inclinations... Listen, you can excuse yourself. Hey, who's not to say, I I even just read about, what is it, transable? Have you guys heard about that? Man, you guys are not in the news, huh? Transable. So so I identify, although I've been given sight, I identify as a blind person. I think God made a mistake. So I'm going to go ahead and pour a solution on my eyes that makes me permanently blind. Why? Because I identify as a blind person. 
Someone actually did that. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I, I really feel in the depths of my being that God made a, a mistake and I shouldn't have an arm, my right arm, to be specific. Okay. Go to the doctor. They'll probably, you know, take your arm off. And, well, <laughs> there is a person whacked the arm off and because they, they wanted to be transable. Perverseness of the mind. We are the world has been given over to a debased mind. Our inclinations do not void God's laws and intentions of nature. You know, men, just tell your wives, you know, as many have tried to, God made me. I don't know, I have this inclination to be promiscuous. I just identify as that. Oh, it gets quiet, right? Because that's one of those things that's actually acceptable in our society. Not, not within my marriage. No, of course not. But how common is adultery? How common is divorce? Because I just simply don't get along with my wife anymore. No, it's our inclinations do not void God's laws. Or the destruction that comes by ignoring them or rejecting God's laws. Well, we, we don't get to change God. We never will. Our inclinations do not void God's laws, period. But if we insist, then God will give us up. Three times he said it. Given over to lusts, given over to what is dishonorable, and finally given over to a debased mind. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Just in case, you know, you, you do them or you don't do them, but... You approve of them, no big deal. Hey, come one, come all. You know, it's just live and let live. Who am I to judge? You know, that's a good one for excusing yourself or not doing the right thing or, tell, or warning someone of these things. But God, God gives over a person who insists to a debased mind. Paul is referring to all who have rejected God. And have exchanged the acknowledgement and worship of God for that which is created or corrupt. The people who are filled with lust in their heart, acting on what is dishonorable, are then given up to minds that are themselves rejected by God. In other words, reprobate, debased, those that have not stood the test of truth and themselves possess, in, in a very real sense, unapproved minds. The quote-unquote freedom they believe they have in their sin is the very thing that ensnares them and will eventually bring them to eternal suffering in hell. This is the whole point of this. Is it coming to an understanding that we are in desperate need of salvation, of a Savior, Jesus Christ? 
This mind is described here for us. Covetousness, never satisfied, always wanting more. Godliness with contentment, the Bible says, is great gain. Malice, that is evil intent, desiring to bring harm upon others. Unfortunately, not only do we see it outside the church, but we see it within the church. It's like, how in the world is this something that you think is pleasing to the Lord? Having some kind of malicious intent to somehow apply vengeance to someone that you call a brother or sister in Christ. Envy, desiring to possess what others do at their expense. Murder, the taking of another life with malice. Strife, bitter disagreements over basic issues, conflict, anger. It involves all of that. Deceit, misdirecting, misdirecting thoughts by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Gossips, unrestrained conversation about someone else involving inappropriate or untrue details. Um, I just want to add that prayer is not the place uh, to do this very thing because we can pray and be gossiping. I want to pray for Stephen, you know, what he did the other day. And it's like everyone in the prayer group is like, what? <laughs> I didn't know that. So I'll pray for him. Hey, Jim, did you hear about? <laughs> Slanders. Those who make false statements about someone that damaged that person's reputation. Now we have that going on. I, do you have anyone that slanders you? Yeah. Some that you know of. I actually know of people <laughs> who slandered me. Bless their heart. That's a, those of you who know down south, you know, that's a, that's a statement that doesn't really mean bless their heart. It means, oh, no. <laughs> Haters of God, insolent, meaning they're arrogant, lacking respect. And the list goes on. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. We got some youth here. We got my boys here too. So. All of this, though, is our, these are things that we need to guard ourselves from, heartless, ruthless. And then verse 32 says, though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice them Uh, deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So, and if you know God's word and do these things or make a way for others to do that, then repent. If you know God's word and don't warn these people, you will be held accountable by God. If you give approval, the Bible is very clear. We're going to be held accountable. Given over to lust, given over to what is dishonorable, given over to a debased mind. This is not for any other purpose but to come to realize sin and acknowledge that we are in desperate need of a Savior.
So I want to I want to close with this because this is all found in in Romans. Let's all stand to our feet. We can have the worship team come up. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, I'm going to bring you through this because this is what we have. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. It says in verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's what we just went through. Just the knowledge of sin and understanding. We've fallen short. Romans 3.23 says, for all I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that's what we come to. We're going to go through next week. It's just, it's going to be another, uh, another sermon on chapter 2 to where it's going to continue to give us an understanding of how, how short we fall in our desperate need for a Savior. I, I hope you're getting the picture because Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you continue on from there to Romans chapter 10 is what we'll we'll go to. In verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. But there is no distinction between Jew and Greeks, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray that each and every one of us is not only called on Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior, but we ourselves are walking consistently with him in faith, asking him to fill us with his Holy Spirit and help us to walk these things out. The moment I came to salvation is the moment the Lord filled me with his Holy Spirit and gave me an understanding of all this wickedness. All of it. And that's why it's so difficult to go through this because I know that these were, these were the things like this so much. I mean, I know my own heart. Can you acknowledge your own heart? Please acknowledge your own heart. What separates you from, from the Father is the very thing that he's trying to offer to you that would save you, that would deliver you from eternal condemnation. When we acknowledge, when we acknowledge his love and his grace, not only does his kindness draw us unto himself for salvation, but it also helps us to walk in love toward him in obedience. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing this final song in conclusion. And I hope whether you're watching online or you're here in person, that this is a time, number one, of, could, could be of recommitment to the Lord, number two. It could be that this is for the first time uh, a moment of completely surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. You thought you had before, but there's no fruit. There's nothing to show for that salvation that you claim you had. The Lord says today is the day of salvation, and I pray that you will respond to the love of God that he demonstrated through his son.
and you just cry out, confessing to him your sin, asking him for forgiveness and to be your Lord and Savior today. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are willing to send your son to die on the cross on our behalf, to pay for our sins, past, present, and future. At the moment, we confess our sins, repent of our sins, and declare you as Lord and Savior, Lord, just uh, accepting that reign in our lives. We are saved and we have the hope of heaven. I pray that we do not argue with you, but simply acknowledge you as God. That we surrender to one who knows all. And one day we can see in all of his glory. So we thank you, Father. We praise you. We just commit the rest of our lives, whatever it may be, into your hands. We pray this all in Jesus' name.